Welcome to Women Empower Active, an initiative started by You Are Sportswear to empower women to find their own active adventure. I'm your host, Jacqueline Gross. Today, we are speaking with Sarah Histand, pronouns she, they. Sarah is an incredible person, and I just really enjoy this conversation. I feel super lucky to have had the opportunity to speak with her, and they share such an amazing story with their Wilderness Classic uh, adventures and ice skating. Um, Sarah will go into those things more in depth in the interview. And also Sarah has a company called Mind and Mountain, where she trains you not only physically, but also emotionally. And I think that's really important because a lot of the times the roadblocks we put up are our own and we stop ourselves from doing things. And it's really important that you're not only just training your body, but you're also training your mind to be supportive of your body. I now know the importance of that and I'm working on being more positive myself. I had such an incredible conversation with Sarah. I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Awesome. Well, thank you for doing this. Um, I'm very excited. I just want to dive in with like, how did you become active? How did this journey happen for you? Well, so I, I'm a lifelong Alaskan and I was born and raised up here. My parents are from the Midwest, so they are from like Ohio, Indiana area. And so growing up up here, they were kind of new to Alaska and we, so, but we grew up doing kind of mellow outdoorsy stuff, like canoeing and some little hikes and things definitely like sledding in the winter um like a big part of living up in Alaska is that like (laughs) you have to be outside pretty often or else it's going to be pretty boring so um that was I like that was early life and then after I, I left the state for college and then came back in my 20s and started to get more into the outdoor recreation world like started, I spent some time working in national parks and was introduced to people who were doing more ambitious backpacking and mountaineering and backcountry skiing and some of the sort more like sportier outdoorsy things. And that's been kind of the focus of my life ever since, um, trying to get into those sports in ways that like as an adult learner felt like it's been a, like quite a journey to <laughs> grow my skill set and make mistakes along the way and uh, push the limits and then uh, get humbled and <laughs> like lots of lots of challenges and learning opportunities along the way. It's been really empowering and also humbling. Um, where did you grow up in Alaska? In Soldotna. Soldotna is like a little town that's a couple hours south of Anchorage. Cool. Yeah, I live in Anchorage now. Okay, that's another one of my questions was, where were you living now? Do you see a, a lot of moose? Yeah, we do see a lot of moose. <laughs> yep. Especially these days, we have had a lot of snow, like uh, three or four feet in the last two weeks. And so there's just like piles of snow everywhere and the moose have nowhere to go. So they're in the streets and they're, <laughs> yeah, they're around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you play any organized sports when you were growing up at all? Yeah, I did like basketball, track. I was super into track, uh, mm-hmm. cross country yeah indoor indoors stuff mostly i mean i guess track is outdoors but it wasn't like um off the <laughs> off the trail at all in yeah the way i'm focusing now what events did you do when you were 
growing up? Like what in track? Yeah, in high school, I was uh, doing sprints and jumps uh-huh. and ended up realizing, like feeling like I was a better kind of like all around. I was like, okay, at lots of things. And so I started to train for the heptathlon, which wasn't a an event here in Alaska, but I did some like traveled out of state a little bit to try to compete in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did a little bit of that in college too. I think that's, that's like, feels like overall my athletic strength is to be like, a pretty good athlete at a lot of stuff, but like not exceptionally good at any one thing. And so uh, it's more of like an all around athlete, which feels like a helpful skill for backcountry time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And where did you go to school? I went to college at Nebraska Wesleyan University in Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's a big, big change. How did you get there? (laughs) I went there because my high school track coach had worked in Lincoln and had some connections there. So he had, he knew the track coach there and uh, they had some heptathlon skills. So there was like a little bit of an inroad to that program. And then I also growing up in Alaska, I felt like I was like really confined to this world of like kind of isolated Alaska living. And I wanted to where I didn't know any, and had a really clean slate and was able to like totally reinvent myself. So um, kind of randomly, I ended up in Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does. It does seem really random. I had a similar experience where I grew up in a very small town, uh, like a one stoplight town, went went to school in a very small college and then ended up transferring to to Michigan State because I I felt like I wanted to kind of get get out and see more than what I had seen. Yeah, me too. I like, I, I, that was a good college experience, but I, I did get out as soon as I could too. And spent a lot of time like studying abroad and trying to get like a bigger, bigger idea of what the world was like. Yeah, exactly. I I don't know. Do you know like where that came from for you? Like, does that like that need to like want to find out more about the world? I think initially it felt kind of like an escape from a what felt like kind of my my family was really religious and we had a lot of like um, kind of rules and expectations around how I needed to be as a kid, or at least that's what it felt like growing up. And so I think a lot of that was kind of escapism from the rules and then trying to discover what else was out there. Um, My family is also Mennonite, which um, besides the rules, they also have a lot of um, humanitarian uh, contributions. Like there was always this really strong sense of giving back to others and awareness of different, the values of different cultures and of what, um, of all the different people who have less than us resource wise. And so there kind of was always this idea of like, there's a lot of other people and cultures and a lot of other richness out in the world. And I always felt like I had no idea what that was really like being in Alaska and wanted to go out and experience it. Um, athletic wise, what's what do you really love now to do? Now? Well, it's winter here. We're like doing this call on solstice. It's like the heart of winter right now. I'm really enjoying skiing, backcountry skiing, especially when there's good snow for that. And I also love skate skiing and other Nordic skiing. And then my other favorite winter sport is 
backcountry ice skating. So um, ice skating on wild ice. Right now, because of all the snow we have, there isn't much ice around because it's all buried, but there are a few big lakes that are still open that we're waiting for them to freeze over and uh, might still turn into some really nice ice skating. Um, in the summer, I love backpacking and especially the longer trips that I've been doing over the last few years that combine backpacking with pack rafting, mm -hmm. like carrying a little mini, uh, little mini raft in your backpack so that when you can you can hike for a while and then when you get to a river you can float and go back and forth between using your body to hike and then giving your legs a rest and uh, getting some water time and that's a really nice way to cover ground up here. Wow, that's really cool. I I was looking at your videos of the going back to your um, ice skating. What'd you call it? Wild ice. Yeah, Nordic. Yeah, wild ice or Nordic skating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, those are so cool. And then you're like testing the ice to see how it was. Like, can you kind of go into that process a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole thing. Cause like when you're out on lakes or rivers that um, aren't like nobody's paying attention to the ice thickness on, you have to be really cautious um, of what of the conditions and ice tends to be pretty variable. So it'll be like really thick in some places and then, uh, not so thick in others. So we're always, um, we're always really tracking what's going on with the ice and watching for changes in the texture or the color or any like little clues as to what might be going on. And then we also have a bunch of safety tools like um, these little picks that go around your neck. So if you were to fall in, you could unclip them and they have little pokey thing, metal pieces on each end that you can use to get purchase back onto the ice to help pull yourself back in. That's like the number one safety tool for wild ice. And then we also have this really cool, like um, it looks kind of like a ski pole, but it has a, it's like, it has some weight to it and it's really well calibrated. So if you use it to pop at the ice and if it, if you punch it into the ice and it doesn't punch through, then that is about, it's like strong enough to hold your body weight, but if it pops through, then it's not strong enough. And so it's a really nice way to tell if the ice is gonna support you or not. Wow. And are you like kind of what's the approach like for this? Like, are you hiking in several like miles to get to these areas? It depends. There is quite a bit of lake access if you're willing to drive a little bit from here. Um, some of our favorite lakes are like, yeah, like either north or south of Anchorage mm -hmm. um, and usually drivable. But there are some very cool lakes that if you're if you want to like hike up and get to them, then um, yeah, lakes up in the mountains too are often really nice options. We usually do research through watching satellite imagery and looking to see if the imagery that's coming through the satellites looks like it's either water or looks like it's ice mm -hmm. or it looks like it has snow on it. And then you're like, OK, well, that's not worth going to. Um, but that gives us like a clue as to whether it's worth like heading out to that area or not to see what it actually looks like on the ground. Wow, what a like cool adventure of this like whole process of like finding the areas and then going to them and like exploring to see if they're actually, I mean, it's just such a like cool process. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I have to give my husband a lot of props for that. He is really into the um, data-driven like adventure planning stuff that's off the beaten path and so um, and he teaches this stuff um, in his business so he's like 
he's so good at like looking at all the satellite imagery and then being like, okay, this is like worth a shot. Let's go try it. <laughs> and we either, we win some and we lose some, but uh, when we win and we find something really good, it feels very special. Um, and yeah, you're right. You kind of never know what you're going to get. So you have to be up for the, <laughs> up for the adventure either way. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just can imagine just like how quiet it would be and just like you're skating and just like so calm looking out on like the mountains and mm, sounds totally. incredible. <laughs> yeah, it really is. There's really nothing like it. Ice skating is such a free feeling too. There's like, if you've got good ice, there's like no friction. You're just like flying through the <laughs> terrain. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, I love it. Do you take groups out for this or do you just do it with your husband this has been a pretty we go with friends um it hasn't been something we've brought into like professional lives though yeah. luke is teaching um ice safety classes now and so it might be something that we we do here he, he starts doing more professionally but it's the conditions are so rare and hard to predict that it's pretty hard to set up anything in advance to to yeah. do so that's like one of the really big barriers with like trying to bring new people into the sport yeah just like, you never know whether it's when it's going to be good yeah You're like you can sign up and we can drive out there but it might not turn into anything so exactly. you know. yeah <laughs> be flexible yeah um, but yeah like you said the payoff is huge mm-hmm going from there into like a different kind of adventuring um you've done the wilderness classic um I think several years in a row. Um, and I wanted to learn a little bit about that. I wonder if you could like go into that because it sounds like it's pretty secluded and you're kind of on your own. Is is there a crew or how does that work? Yeah, this the Wilderness Classic is a event that happens up here in Alaska. There's a summer version and there's a winter version. I have mostly done the winter version. I, I did the summer one once, but the winter one is the one I'm more familiar with. And but both versions, they uh, there's a starting place and there's an ending place. And um, because we have so much space up here without roads or anything, there's typically like not much in between the two spots. And the goal is to get from one end to the other without um, using any other resources. You choose your route, you carry all your supplies. Um, there is usually some support at the beginning and at the end but in between you're all on your own and there isn't really anybody checking up on you and you're not allowed a resupply or anything you're just um, needing to be self-supported the whole time wow and how long is it sorry I didn't yeah know. It, it's typically like between one to 200 miles depending on kind of the year and where they set the course and what route you choose there's often like short shorter like more direct routes that involve a lot of extra climbing and technical challenge or maybe some longer and less technical options and sometimes they end up being uh people end up going different directions and it matching it <laughs> getting there at the same time because the technical stuff takes so much longer um yeah usually the winter ones we did between uh four to seven days on um to complete the route so you're out there in outside in yeah. winter time in alaska by yourself for seven yeah <laughs> yeah it's all self-supported it's um i've done it with partners always uh like um 
my brother and I did it together for the first few years. And then I did it with a team of women one season. Um, so you can, you can group up and people, people kind of merge with other people who are out there. It's really nice to have someone else to be out there with just for safety reasons, because you're so out there and there's a lot of unknowns in those situations, but yeah, you're carrying your winter camping gear and it's usually a pretty light version of that, maybe without a ton of creature comforts, because you're also trying to have as light of a load on your back as possible. So you can keep going uh, for as many miles as you can without getting too tired. Um, and then trying to like ski for as many miles a day as you can, um, sleep for, uh, because I mean, it's dark here a lot these days. So, and it's usually yeah. in the spring. So we, people do sleep in the winter one, especially because it's just dark and it's not that efficient and it's real cold in the night. Um, in the summer one, more people are willing to like skip the skip the sleeping part cut their nights really short and just like push through for um, a few days and some people finish them really quickly in the summer but wow is there it so in the summer ones like are they you said tech more technical are is there like rock climbing involved or like what kind of technical parts are there I, yeah, I was thinking more about the winter ones be having some mountaineering to them for sure people some people bring ropes and harnesses and there's some sometimes glacier travel and um, some tricky passes if people want to take the more like mountainous routes. Um, in the summer I'm trying to think if I've heard of people I haven't heard of people adding rock climbing into them in the summer. Sometimes there there are some people who have tried um, paragliding in the summer to cover ground. Yeah. Um, I don't think I haven't heard of anyone being too successful with like catching the right wind direction <laughs> at the right moment to, to be able to do it. But that could that could potentially be successful. It's all guys. The only rules are that it's human powered. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there there could be some ways to get around some of the hiking. But most of the mostly in the summer, it's hiking and it's all off trail. So it's like, yeah, hiking through the backcountry and then also pack rafting often. Wow. And how are you navigating this? Do you have a map or like, how does that work? Yeah, maps and usually a route using your phone, like the uh, GPS app on the phone oh. that um, can, and often will spend a bunch of time on the, again, like using that satellite imagery tool to try to guess what the best route is ahead of time. So you have at least a general idea of where you want to go and then are able to make micro decisions when you're out there. But um, yeah, the route planning is a big part of the skill set to be able to accomplish these routes in a decent amount of time without spending too much time like wandering or making inefficient route finding decisions. How was it doing? I mean, this is an incredible thing. I'm so interested like how is um how was it working with like a group going through and doing this together because I feel like some people would might want to rest at other times people might want to keep going you're tired you know this is prolonged like everybody's having to work together like how did that go for you yeah the oh it's such a it's such a journey I um the year that I did it with a group of women, there were five of us and and yeah, we ran into a lot of those kind of challenges with different bodies needing different things at different times. 
And what we ended up doing between the five of us, and this, I think this often happens with um, bigger teams in this group, in this, um, in the, this event, is that um, you go in with enough gear between the five of you to be able to split off into like, quote unquote, independent nations. It's like yeah. one of the little uh, ways of thinking about it so that so that the people who are feeling really strong and like they want to keep going and push the pace and maybe do a little bit more of the trail breaking can head out, can can go up ahead and have also enough camping gear between that part of the group to be self-sufficient if they end up separated for a night or more from the rest of the group. And then the people who need more rest or are dealing with blisters or some other body thing that comes up are able to split off and go at the pace that they need to. Um, and then those two groups often end up merging back together and maybe then the configuration changes a different day and you know other people are feeling strong and end up in the front. Um, so it's kind of maybe like amoeba, an amoeba kind of thing where they're like splitting off and then coming back together. And that's part of it, you know, our, all of our bodies need different things at different times. So it's nice to have that flexibility. So there are some people that do it solo. I, you, you had said, have, and you said you'd never have done it by yourself. I haven't. No, yeah. I really enjoy the safety of having a second person around for that length of a backcountry time. And also just the like mental uh, support of not having to like make all the decisions myself and yeah especially with uh, the people who I've meshed well with out there. Um, like I'm thinking of my brother um, and some of the other partners who I've been with, like there's there's often this cool balance if, if the two of you are flowing really well, where like one person's really hurting during the time when the other person's really feeling capable. And so like the capable person can go in the front and kind of make the micro decisions that have to happen as you're choosing terrain and figure out where to go. And, and the other person can just be kind of like head down, plodding along, like just <laughs> keeping going. And then at some point the energy switches and the, and the one person's totally, the other person is like overwhelmed and tired and grumpy and just like so over it. But then the other, the, it like, somebody else steps up and is like, this is beautiful. I love that we're out here and can like carry the group along when the, when somebody else is hurting. So that's really worked well for me. Yeah. That's so cool. And how, how many people normally are in the field that are all trying to, to do this event? They're pretty small these days. Um, somewhere in between 15 to maybe 30 at the biggest that I've seen them. Wow. So there's not that many other people that are going to be out there that you would maybe run into. You're kind of just like, if you've all decided to do this, you're probably just going to see that group the whole time. Yeah, there, that is, that's true. And, and often the groups get strung out. So you won't necessarily cross paths or maybe you're going a different route from other groups. And so you, you wouldn't necessarily, you wouldn't expect to see them, but, but there, I think on every trip, every one of these I've been on, there have been times where you just intersect with other groups at the same time. And it's so fun after like spending so much time in your head out alone and also kind of wondering how everybody else is doing. Um, it has less of a, this this event has less of a competitive vibe and more of a like, I wonder how everybody's doing. Let's see if we can all get to the finish line, kind of camaraderie to it, which um, so running into other teams is kind of a positive thing that like brings you out of your own struggle too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah. I, it does like really remind me of like 
all true running because like there's just everybody just wants everybody else to do good and it's just such a good community feel to yeah. it so yeah um, wow yeah I, I, I don't know similar that's cool yeah I think, yeah. I think yeah. it's kind of like ultra running but like in the in the wilderness instead of on a trail <laughs> yeah yeah it's like fast packing basically I guess yeah. like just, you're trying you're still trying to go as quickly as you can like personally it, but it's more about your yourself and your body and like you 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 competing against yourself than than the field and about finishing more so than like trying to go for a good time because you can't really know your time you're like yeah exactly so I'm sure you've had situations where you're like oh man I don't know if I can do this like can you describe a situation like that that happened yeah, well, I'm thinking about the like the first two years that I did this event. I'll try to like be quick with telling them, but like I like the very first time I did this, I, even just hearing about the event growing up, I was like, "Oh, that's for the like super athlete types." Uh, definitely not me. I for sure didn't think that that was something in that I was capable of doing. And then when my brother and I decided to take it on the first time it seemed like very overwhelming and we weren't sure we'd ever finish. And so we had a bunch of like bailout plans built in. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, we, and we brought a bunch of extra food cause we thought we might be slow. Uh, so we had a lot of, a lot, a lot of backup plans. And then when we did actually finish that first year, it was like incredibly empowering and um, I kind of couldn't believe it. And had also, um, like just learned so much it was like the hardest thing I had ever done and to finish it was really kind of blew uh, my mind and kind of broke this glass ceiling that I hadn't realized I had set on myself um but then we did like feel like we'd learned so much and and pretty soon after we kind of forgot the immediate pain of finishing that we started to think like oh if we like changed our skis and like did a little bit different training and cut a little weight in our backpacks I bet I bet I bet I bet and so we went back the next year and did the same it was the same course and we ended up cutting two days off of our time so <laughs> instead of like seven days we cut it down to five days which is like a huge uh improvement and then on that last day there was like the final pass that we had to make it over and we ended up mat meeting up with um, two other groups who had been going different routes and we were all like coincided at this final pass and those other two groups were full of these like super athlete types who I like look up to my whole life mm -hmm. and we ended up we were all at the front of the pack and we ended up all finishing together and um, it was again this other just like mind-blowing experience of being like wow not only did I finish this thing but I like finished with some incredible athletes that I've always looked up to and again my like glass ceilings blown again yeah. <laughs> and I get to think about how um actually there's a lot of capability and possibility when you're able to train and learn and when things go right even for me you know yeah I really thought of myself as like one of them but there I was wow that's yeah that's so cool I'm I don't want to take too much of our time on this, but like, this is such a cool event. And I think it's such a, such an interesting way to like push yourself, like, because it's so unstructured, you have nothing to compare it to, even if you're doing it again, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's so cool. 
Um, what are your goals now? Like moving into maybe just what's next? Do you want to, are you going to do that again? Or like, do you have any other aspirations? Yeah, these days my, um, so I have been on a fertility journey actually for the last few years. And yeah. that has really shifted my uh, relationship with my body and I've needed to slow down quite a bit and uh, it's shifted my focus from um, accomplishment and like really pushing hard in the mountains to trying to do it, like spend my time outside in a way that like is in partnership with my body and my nervous system. Mm -hmm. So I've like kind of reoriented the way I'm doing things and um, am doing a lot of healing of nervous system work and um, working toward this new phase of adventuring that might include a little person here someday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's really exciting. Kind of like moving on from that, you also kind of focus on not just being like active, but like the mindset um, of having like a positive mindset. And there was, there was a recent post that you post on Twitter, but um, or Instagram, and you might have posted this in, in other places as well, but just that, like keeping a, a positive mind self and uh, mindset and positive like self-talk, which is something that I hadn't realized that I've been talking negatively to myself in races competing for a really long time. And like, how did, how did you come to that realization that positive self-talk was helpful? Yeah, this is such a big thing. Um, and I say, I don't think I realized I had been struggling with it quite as badly as I had. Mm -hmm. um, but I am a so I'm a therapist as well as a personal trainer. And um, when I was in grad school, getting my social work degree, I was learning a lot about this kind of things and, and learning about self talk. And then my um, like kind of as that was happening, we had a break in school and my husband and I went on a a uh, long summer trip, uh, backpacking and pack rafting trip up in the Brooks Range in the north part of the state. Again, where there's like no trails and we're um, using that satellite imagery to pick a route. And then, um, so he'd, again, he'd like done a bunch of this route planning this way. Mm -hmm. And we had this, uh, we had heard there was a hot springs that we wanted to get to. And so he kind of scouted this like quickest route to get us to this hot springs, which had involved walking along this ridge and then descending the ridge to get down to the valley floor, which is where the hot springs was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And this is like way out in the backcountry. We'd been like hiking alone for two weeks and we just like heard of this place, didn't even really know if it was there or not. Um, but the the descent was where it got real spicy because the ridge was pretty high, the valley was low and the route that he'd sketched out took us kind of like straight down <laughs> and the slope was like, uh, these big chunky rocks that were like the size of like refrigerators and dishwashers, you know, like big massive rocks. And they're kind of stacked on top of each other on this steep slope. And they were kind of loose, <laughs> like they had a little bit of wobble to them. So it's yeah. like talus that's not very settled. It's like a little bit mobile still. And um, as we were working our way down this slope, um, he in those situations he's got this like inner mountain goat and just goes like do 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 and like bops his way down that stuff and my process is a lot slower and steadier and i like want to like check that the rock i'm stepping on is like not going to wobble before i put my weight on it and it's like a slower process and uh 
I was feeling really angsty about that because I was watching him just like make his way down what seemed like really effortlessly and I was not feeling like that and it felt stressful and scary and I think because we had just been studying self-talk in my schooling Mm -hmm. I realized that as I was working my way down that I had in my head this cycle going that was why are we doing this I suck at this why are we doing this I suck at this and just like playing that on repeat and and I like realized that was happening and I felt my body get like building up tension as I worked my way down just like rah, getting even more stressed and my shoulders tightening up and my like everything starting to feel more and more stressed about it but the minute I realized that the that that like negative self-talk cycle was happening I was able to realize how unsupportive that was and and switch it and I in like switched into a more like with self-talk I'm we're always looking for something that is more accurate and more helpful um and the accuracy of the like why are we doing this I suck at this like that's questionable because um like actually going slow is maybe a really smart thing to do in those situations so it's maybe just fine that we go slow um the why are we doing this is a sort of a different question but um I switched to a mantra of I've got this I'm good at this um and those felt like positive enough and also believable even if it meant I was going slower that I am good at this I can do this um and I swear the minute I switched to that positive self-talk mantra and I I swear the slope got easier and and then like the rocks got smaller and I like there's no way of testing that I can't tell if it actually did or if it was just the mental space Mm -hmm. but um that I've got this I'm good at this has become a really a go-to mantra for me and it helped me get through that situation and it felt so much easier once I was able to like be with myself in that way and um yeah that's something I'm more and more every time I um work with that self-talk it gets easier to notice when it's negative and easier to replace with something that's again more accurate and more helpful yeah and I think too like in that situation like we're animals that are trying to survive like your body was telling you this is stressful because it was it's stressful it's a it's a survival instinct and yes there's probably some anxiety there where you know and then you're putting judgment on yourself because you're not being able to keep up with your husband. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I totally have been there. I was, while you were talking about that, I'm like picturing there's this place called the enchantments kind of on Eastern Washington. It's a trails, beautiful, like white goats, glacier water, You but you have to climb up this really rocky section that is very like not stable. And you're kind of like stopping to wait to see, you know, if the rock, uh-huh. so I, I'm right there with you. I, definitely take would take my time to that section <laughs> uh, but yes that's uh such such a good point kind of going from that I wanted to go into you have um a company where you like you said you're a, a personal trainer and you have several programs and my really good friends actually recommended that I contact you because she has taken um your ski babes and summer strong programs and she really really loved them um and I 
really look up to her. She's an amazing person. Um, I just wanted to know like a little bit more about that and kind of like what, how you created the structure for those and just go into like uh, maybe expectations within that, those, those two workouts. Cool. Yeah, sure. That's so awesome that your that your friend um, was the link between us, and I'm yeah. so glad you had a good experience with it. Yeah. So those training programs they're virtual, so um, online workouts that help build both mind and body strength for to support our outdoor time. And I tend to get people who like yeah like want to have really great times outside when they get the chance. Um, but also tend to be really busy and maybe aren't able to get outside as much as they wish they could and need a way to do a little bit of cross training and like squeeze it into their daily lives. So these are um, pretty short, like 35 to 45 minute workouts that we do either two or three days a week. And it is a really nice complement to an outdoorsy lifestyle. Um, and just like we were talking about self-talk, I love a indoor body weight workout for the um for how it helps us um both replicate the moves that we need our body to do when we're outside which tend to be pretty non-linear and pretty like unbalanced and just funky um it's like very obvious to do that in the winter with skiing when we're like on side slopes or i mean hiking too right we're on like weird slanty trails or so um, we can like replicate the weird situations that we're in from the living room and then be able to track what's what like where our body goes and build the mind body awareness of like weight balance and how to find stability in a funky situation when there's actually less going on. So like when you're outside, there's so many things that your body has to be judging about whether it's safe and navigating and making these micro decisions all the time so we can like train for some of that for the basics of that um, from home and then when you're outside your body will at least have some muscle memory for some of this weird stuff and make it easier that way and then I also love the ability to train the to build awareness of like what is happening with your self-talk when you're in a challenging workout mm -hmm. and you're comparing yourself to the instructor maybe who's going faster than you or you're um feeling like you're not going as uh able to do as many reps as you were yesterday and like what happens to your mental space during those times so it's also a really um, we call it mindful interval training where you're able to like I'm coaching both the body awareness and also the mental awareness while we're playing with challenge. Um, kind of learning to speak the language of your nervous system as it moves in and out of challenge. So yeah, and we do um, we've got the winter oriented version, which is ski babes and the summer one that is summer strong we train in six week cycles so they there's like a build cycle over the course of six weeks um and then i've like each season has three cycles that build together if you want to sign up for the whole summer or the whole winter and add adding challenge on as you move through each of those cycles that's that's awesome that you do both like mental and like the physical side of things because i think a lot especially when i was growing up and being athletic there wasn't that side that was talking about the mental side of things and i didn't unfortunately learn a lot of that until I was older. And honestly, I'm still trying to undo some of those things, you Same know, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cause like you were saying like, Oh, if you're comparing yourself to the instructor, I'm like, yes, 
are you like comparing yourself to last time? Yes. You know, like, and, and, and real, like you said, like you were talking about before, like realizing when you are doing that, it's probably part of this training too. So that's amazing that you have incorporated that in there. Yeah. I feel like that's such a big part of like, there's so much in, I like, traditional fitness culture that is in this like more 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 like expectation of always being at your peak performance and like next the next workout being the best one always and that is just not the way the human body works and so there's quite a bit of unlearning like you're talking about around that expectation of perfectionism and I think especially for those of us that are high performers and are used to like being pretty high achievers, both maybe athletically and in other areas of our lives, being able to work with the actual body that we have in the moment and realize the mental aspects of that, the nervous system aspects of that, and then how we care for it as it moves through phases of growth where it's getting stronger in really obvious ways. And then phases of like expansion and contraction is part of every growth cycle, right? So we have to be with those times when we're able when it's when things are less feeling less and we're not always and we're not in a gain cycle and let that be okay um that's like pretty critical to keeping going long term and not from a super punishing place internally i think it's incredible that you're you're teaching women because hopefully you know eventually we'll start out this way like you're you're you'll start out not judging right. yourself yeah that'd be awesome I agree maybe in a couple generations we'll get there yeah <laughs> that'd be really awesome exactly yeah. uh, I wanted to, I wanted to, one other point about that um your your style of training is that um something that I've really uh lately have really been focusing on is that if there's emotion or um something that I feel that I'm weak in training that specific motion instead of like, I'm just going to lift weights. Cause I want to lift, get through these lift weights. I'm trying to have more intention and like purpose to like, okay, I'm going to do step like these step ups because they really help when I'm thinking about running. And then you're like doing this giant step onto a rock or a branch or something else, you know, that you're really stepping up. I want to strengthen that motion because otherwise I'm going to get injured or like, I feel that's where I feel tired. Where's that where my fatigue comes from? Like, I think that's yeah. huge that you're training for that specific motion of like slipping on a trail or a slant on a trail. Like that's huge to injury prevention alone, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And whether it's injury prevention, cause your body is learning how to move through this weird must, this weird, like body pattern that it's not used to the super big step mm-hmm. or the um big step down you know which can be yep. so hard on the body too mm-hmm. or if it's the yeah exactly like learning how to recover when you're off balance and not to necessarily like black out and have a crash but maybe there's actually a way that you can help your body expect to be a little bit off balance and then know how to regain some of that and um not necessarily need to go into a full-on fight or flight response mm-hmm. um eventually you know if it if it builds comfort with that instability and the regaining of stability then that can be a really powerful place to be and even like help us both like reduce our like acute injuries when we crash um reduce the overuse injuries because we're like um the body's used to like moving um in alignment the whole time instead of having to like work around something weird um but then also help the mental 
stress and the potential to lower stress injuries too if we're able to be with the times when things are off and and know that we're going to be okay even even when things feel weird and we're able to recover from it yeah a good example of that for me too is like a lunge like they're always like don't put your knee over your toe but it's like when we're running that your knee is over your toe right like (laughs) we need to train that too (laughs) yeah exactly I know and there that requires a lot of like inter of like tiny little muscle stability to make Mm -hmm. that happen you know it's not just a traditional lunge where you want to maybe like add a ton of weight to it right Um, it's maybe a less load but different range of motion to help those joints be stable in that like fully extended or contracted range of motion. So I did want to talk to you a little bit because I, a little background on me, I've actually, I've worked in like the fishing industry. So I've been up in Alaska for probably the last five years during the summer. Um, and mm-hmm. I would, I've been to like Kodiak and Wrangell and um, Seward. I've been to Soldatna. I've been to Kenai, you know, um, and um, all over basically Alaska. I love Alaska. It's gorgeous. Um, really, really, really miss it. And the this last summer, I was just like, kind of, I don't know, smell is kind of like one of those things where it's really tied to memory, obviously. And so just like some days when it would really smell that pine smell, I was like, oh, I really miss being in Alaska. Um, but I was gonna, I kind of like, got a little bit burnt out because a lot of those areas are pretty like, closed minded. I mean, Wrangell had like, QAnon I mean there's QAnon everywhere but there's like QAnon on the garage and um just you know a lot of issues with that and I as a woman in the office often would feel um there's a lot of sexist comments you know got called a sexitary and some other you know like just people not and you know making passes at you whatever else like how do you you're such an open-minded person um and you know very liberal from what I can tell online um like (laughs) (laughs) um like how do you how do you deal with that like even mentally it's really tough you know yeah oh my gosh that stuff is so real and terrible yeah (laughs) oh my gosh yeah, it makes me so mad too over just even hearing your experiences. Yeah. Wow, well, so fires me up. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I you're right, I am really passionate about the um need for these outdoor spaces to be something that people of all identities can experience and have good have a good time in. Mm-hmm. Um so I feel like that is a big part of what I want to do in the world is like help there be more safety and uh, representation and just like um, safe, safer ways for women and people of color and queer people and all of us to um, be able to be in the like have these empowering experiences in nature. Um, but you're right it's it's quite challenging at times in different environments and not everybody's here for it and um i would say a lot of my approach to that has been to build up my community of like-minded people and to really lean on them um it's 
pretty different than being in like the I'm not in the fishing world. So I think I'm I'm like at this point pretty protected from some of the hardest places where there's like a culture built around some of these misogyny or some of these like gross jokes and all of that. Um, I've been kind of intentionally creating through my business a group of people and I'm like very upfront about my values in my business so that like only people pretty much I only get people who are like down for like being outside with this lens of like yes we want this to be inclusive and welcoming and everybody belongs um and I think the people who aren't who aren't on board with that like see my stuff and they're like nope I this isn't this isn't for me so um I personally don't have to interact with it all that often um there are like i know some women who run fishing boats and i've like last last season one of them reached out and said i want some more women to like run my to be on my boat with me and like we were able to like put that out in the community and she found some a crew and so like i think there's like little pockets of people who are like looking for more like-minded people and almost looking to create a new culture um, and I, there might be some ways to do that from the inside, um, but I think in general, a lot of um, people who are pretty set in their mindsets toward like sticking with the old ways aren't necessarily gonna make a change willingly. And I really lean on the people who are like creating a new way of doing it um, and like creating culture in a, in a different way. Yeah, I think it's hugely like that's a good point about creating that community cuz like even when I was in those situations like I I found this other woman who ran when I was up in Alaska and I would wow. you know see her and run with her and when I was in Wrangell there was a group that I'm sure would be totally on board with all of your programs um that was awesome and was able to like have some time with that that person as well it's just um yeah, day to day to day working in an office in that environment when you know you're working really really long hours, just dealing with that is is really hard. But I guess you're right. If you're in a different community and you don't have that around you all the time, and you've created this like accepting space for others, like that's the that's the way to do it. And then hopefully slowly grow that further and further and further and further out. You know, I totally. Do. That's the vision. It's hard when you're in it and like not everybody has the like ability to just like opt out completely and like go create something new. So I think, yeah, if you are in a environment where there's a lot of those microaggressions or like crappy situations going on, then um, I mean, it'd be lovely if you could extract yourself from that, but that was maybe easier said than done. But like, I think there really is something on like finding your your people to be able to go afterward at least like share what's going on so you know you're not alone um even if it's like some people lean on the online like the ski babes community or the summer strong community even for that because um sometimes you don't find it in your like um in your actual like on your fishing boat maybe you're like yeah. on your uh in real life in in real time but maybe there's like an online space where there's at least some um some other people who can like validate and uh, normalize and like help you know that you're not alone with it and like what you're experiencing is actually not right and then that might at least fortify you enough to be able to get through whatever is going on but yes yeah. I definitely dream of a world where there's less and less of that and when it happens we're like 
this is not cool. You can't, can't act like this around here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it, luckily I was not there all the time and had another network too, but like, I can't imagine, I can't imagine like other, you know, women or, you know, people of color or, you know, the queer community, just like having to deal with that and not having anywhere else to go, especially being in the smaller towns um, mm -hmm. in Alaska. So um, yeah, I mean, I definitely did not feel safe at times. And I do think that um, I think it's so cool that she reached out to you for the crew. Um, Cause I do know some female um, crew that were, underpaid because they were women and stuff like that so like definitely might know somebody at Kodiak if she needs anyone else uh, yes, but yeah good. <laughs> um, but I yeah that kind of network and that feels like the way that we build culture that yeah. you know, around these like values that are actually like supporting of each other and um like not allowing for any of that bullshit <laughs> to yeah. be like acceptable anymore Exactly. Yes. You're so much more powerful when you yeah have your whole community around you. Um, yeah. And even though I was a person of one, I definitely tried to, you know, be supportive of other people that were in the office, making sure that they felt safe there. So um, awesome. we always ask this question for Women in Power Active is that what are your words of empowerment for people trying something new who might, you know, feel a little bit nervous going into it and, you know, have these, maybe even have those higher expectations on themselves. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's tough to be an adult learner, especially with all of the expectations that we talked about throughout this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I would just really normalize that experience and like say that it's okay to feel uncomfortable, scared, intimidated, like all those things are really normal. I've been there. Um, everybody I work with pretty much has too. You're certainly not alone with it. And I would encourage, um, I would encourage the, um, a slow and steady learning curve and um, really try to let go of the comparison traps that we can get from Instagram and all of the other places of seeing people make this look like it's easy. None of this is easy. <laughs> We're in like truly risky situations, both physically and um, mentally and environmentally. So there's like a lot of safety red flags often that are going off in your nervous system when you're learning something new. And um, the way to do that, that doesn't just like overwhelm your system. So, and so you end up like flooded and scared and never want to do this again is to do it in like little doses and pick, take on a challenge. That's like just a little bit, just maybe within your comfort zone or just a little bit outside of it. And then, um, come back and rest and make sure your body is able to integrate that and realize that it survived. And then rest and go back in a different day and pick up something that's like maybe a little bit a notch higher. Um, but I wouldn't really would want to take away any pressure to move too quickly through the learning process because we don't learn very well when we're scared. So um, whatever it takes to like enjoy the experience um, is going to really help. Yeah, that's that's so true. Yeah, definitely not learning when I'm freaking out that like I've been in climbing situations when that's happened too. like a, trying to teach me while I'm climbing and I'm 
freaking out about falling or whatever else. Learning's not happening at that point. Oh, the part of your brain that learns the prefrontal cortex is turned off when we're in a when we're in survival mode. Our body mm -hmm. is just like I'm just gripped so I can get through this and you yeah. can't learn in those situations. So yeah, the, there's, um, there's a lot to be said for baby steps, for the green slopes when you're skiing, for the easy climbs, for the stuff that is, um, yeah, not too big of a push. And eventually your system and your skills build so that the bigger challenges aren't as threatening to the body. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover that I didn't ask you or anything else you want to plug or anywhere else you want to be found? You know, um, the, depending on when you publish it, will we open up a new cohort for the training programs about every six weeks. So the next ski babes one is January 16th. Okay. Um, and then I am doing some of the deeper like nervous system work with some, um, one-on-one -on -one sessions and somatic therapy stuff um, in smaller groups these days too. So the way to um, know about that is to get on my email list. It's mindandmountain.co. Awesome. Yeah. And then what was your, your Instagram handle too? Cause it's great stuff on your Instagram. Like there's such great videos and just like your perspective and what you're posting constantly. It's just very positive and mm -hmm. I, love, I love your videos. That's so nice of you to say. Thanks. I do love it on there. It's a fun way to share some of these values and this like different way of being both in our training and outdoor time. So uh, yeah, that's my handle is Sarah M. Histand there. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Seriously, this has been such a just flew by. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Like, thank you for showing up and being here because you didn't yeah. have to appreciate you. Yeah, you're welcome. Super fun conversation. Really easy to talk with you. We could keep going forever. I, think. I know. I could totally. <laughs> you can follow me personally. That's at Jacqueline Gross, J-A-C-A-L-Y-N-G-R-O-S-S. -S. I mostly take pictures while running and thinking positively about myself. You can check out UR Sportswear, that's letter U, the letter R, Sportswear on all social platforms. And our products can be found on URSportswear.com. If you are listening to this and you'd like to watch the video version, you can check out UR Sportswear's YouTube channel. This video and audio podcast was produced by Jeremy Canaria and edited by me. Thank you so much for listening.